the uh, theme for the uh, afternoon uh, talk is the, the wisdom of the ordinary. I'd just like to take a few minutes with you this afternoon to speak about the general thread and theme of this uh, discourse, uh, mindfulness of breathing. Of course, in the circumstances of the uh, retreat, naturally enough, it is very much associated with the form, the form of mindfulness of breathing, of sitting, walking, standing and reclining, uh, the silences, teachings, guided meditations, etc. And it certainly is an approach with the intention to explore and integrate the human experience into the world of the retreat. But it has that place, but it also has a deeper significance, a significance which is relevant and appropriate for a variety of living situations. And it is important to reflect while here, to meditate here on this larger sense of what the discourse is communicating. Clearly and obviously, in circumstances here, we are mindfully breathing in, mindfully uh, uh, breathing out. This itself contributes to harmony and integration and well-being. Alongside with that and accompanying that quite consistently throughout uh, the discourse is the reminder, this is the mindfulness, the remembrance, remembering, mindfulness means remembering, to bring the reminder or the uh, remembering of aspects of the human experience into life, into breathing in and breathing out, into living. And therefore that application of that is the stronger feelings and sensations, which we might call happiness, we might call it uh, delight, we might call it uh, a joyful energy uh, felt through the body. We can also refer to it as well in its more subtle and refined uh, form. There, again, the language which we uh, use may vary a lot, but the consistent factor uh, with with this is to really take notice in life of what we feel, to take notice in life of the condition of the body, to take notice in daily life are we consciously and purposefully and intentionally bringing calmness to the body? And similarly, with the uh, inner life as, as well, to really recognise the moments of happiness and joy, the moments of delight and humour and uh, pleasure in its strong form and also in its subtle form, to really keep our eyes and ears open for all that which touches us, 
that may come through the five senses. It may come through memory. It may come through a creative initiative with regard to the future. It may come through just being in the moment, mindfully or meditatively or in intimacy with the other. And we want to be really receptive. We want to really be clear about what obstructs that, what stops that, and therefore that which stops it makes us unhappy. That which stops that happiness and joy makes us depressed, cuts us off from life, cuts us off uh, from ourselves. So the fullness of the receptivity to happiness, to joy, to inner peace and contentment, the moment of its arising, they matter deeply. Because if we don't have daily access on a frequent basis, it gets harder and harder to experience. It gets more and more removed from the human life. And what we find ourselves is numb, dull, unhappy, anxious, needy, setting borders, setting boundaries, setting uh, limits, contracted. Because we've forgotten to be happy. We've forgotten, we don't notice the touch of happiness, the, the joy, uh, uh, the laughter. We forget to feel. And so the discourse itself is a consistent thread which is running through the, the, the discourse on the importance of these areas of the feeling life. And a foundation of that, of course, is in, in the bare pleasant feeling. And in the bareness of the pleasant feeling, other factors can come together to enhance and to contribute and develop the bare pleasant feeling. Energy will contribute to that. Interest will contribute to that. Mindfulness will contribute to that. Curiosity and inquiry will contribute to that. Sharing with the other will contribute to that. <coughs> so we need to recognise that happiness in its strong form, therefore it's felt physically, in its subtle form, the refinement of the being, doesn't come out of the blue. It comes when us as human beings, we have looked at the conditions, what gives support to happiness. Uh, there. And that happiness can be in love and in kindness and in friendship. And the relationship to that is, it's a total devotion. Not, it's not a, a selfish devotion. A selfish devotion is, is one in which there is the exclusion of the other. And a human being cannot be deeply happy at the exclusion of the other. It's not possible. So that expansion of the opening of the heart with the happiness, this itself contributes to the welfare of the other. When we are needy, we put pressure on the other. 
When we are angry, we oppress the other. When we are de- demanding upon the other, the other would probably contract or with- withdraw. So our exploration of happiness there is not for the self. It's for the emancipation and the expansion of human life and that includes the other. Happy people do not put, need to put pressure on other people. Happy people do not have to be demanding and controlling because they know that the happiness is the wealth and it brings out of us a, a connection, a communication, a feeling for. But we have to develop it. doesn't come out of the blue, doesn't come from nothing, doesn't drop out of the sky. There's no G-O-D to hand it out. So the communications of this uh, uh, happiness. And sometimes we... we in, look, I just I want to take a, a political uh, point here for uh, um, uh, a, a moment or, or, or two. This word gladness, which Sonia will have referred to uh, today, it includes in it a happiness on behalf of. It's a gladness about. It's to rejoice in. It's to be welcoming. And this expression, one expression of, uh, of uh, happiness, can show itself in a variety of ways, and some ways, sometimes it can show itself in a political uh, way. We have this, what do I have in uh, uh, mind here? The, the, the West, NATO countries, US, a eh? Uh, the British and the European nations and so forth, have been engaged, as we know, in attacks on, on some, I think, I think it's around 14 Arab nations so far, in one form or the other. And there's a terrible consequence of human suffering as a consequence of these uh, invasions on the land, by the sea, or, or from, or from <coughs> the air. And citizens in the Arab community, in North Africa and elsewhere, have f- had to flee. They didn't want to leave, they had to flee uh, there because of the, uh, <coughs> of the wars and the civil wars, and the regional wars, <coughs> and the western wars, all taking place in these uh, uh, countries. And it's an enormous step for those to leave, but it's equally an enormous step as well for us, with our, all of our privileges, to have a heart which is open to be able to receive. And we talk a lot about giving space there. That, that giving of space to others includes the giving of space to the refugees. And that sometimes in that connection and communication which takes uh, place, with all the anxieties and fears that go with it, there is something more important. There's something about relationship, about, being, about hospitality, about being welcoming, about making the space for. And it genuinely tests us. It's 
a genuine uh, test. It can be, as I hear it quite regularly, a kind of shock when one's going from a certain kind of society and suddenly is having to expand its doors, it's having to op- open up, it, up its doors. And, and it is a, a shock. I hear it, I, I hear it here and I hear it uh, elsewhere. But these teachings are about an open heart. These teachings are about welcoming. These teachings are about compassion for others. These teachings are about learning to live with our neighbour. These teachings are about the ending of war. These teachings are about a communication with those who are traumatised, who are suffering and who have lost everything that they have. And that is an unshakable feature of the teaching. We can't talk the language of being open-hearted and open-minded and and talk about metta and then say, yes, but not them. Yes, but only a few of them. And that really does test the being. It isn't easy. It isn't easy to live with integrity and dignity and sustain the love, no matter what the propaganda is telling us. It's a tremendous challenge on us. I go to, I work with the Palestinians. I've been working with them for 25 years. I go to Nablus. And when I'm in, in Nablus, which has been heavily attacked by the, uh, by the IDF, the Israeli army, terrible destruction to some of the most beautiful and sacred and historic places it's a, it's a tragedy in itself to have to witness that in Nablus and when I was there I was there small incidences of life tell the deep story and the children are there not just a few every school in Nablus it's the biggest a town in uh, Palestine in the West Bank were, were all out on demonstration no teachers were allowed no parents were allowed it was all kids aged from five up to uh, the college and the, and the uh, university the streets were full of the kids with their placards in Arabic and I turned to my uh, friend the shopkeeper in the centre of Nablus what are these youngsters all protesting about and uh, he said child labour so nothing to do with the occupation nothing to do with the colonialisation of, uh, of Israel of, of, on Palestine it's to do with child labour and uh, uh, the kids are fed up with it so they're out on strike yeah. and, the, and then he said to me it's not easy and he said, look in my shop. And in the shop, he's got a couple of young youngsters, boy and a girl, working in the shop. And I said, whoa, what are the kids going to say when they see that? And he said, it's not easy. The mother came to me and she said, the children are just a nightmare at home. We've got no money. We're under occupation. The kids are afraid to go out. There are the arrests. There's the... the we don't want the kids throwing stones at the tanks because they can, will get shot or they get arrested or they get beaten up or they get taken away and I'm, I'm talking 10, 11, 12 year olds to, to a political prison 
So we're frightened for our kids and they're restless, agitated. Could you just give them a, a few hours, two or three hours a day in the shop? Sweep the floor, tidy the shelves, give them a few shekels, give them a little bit of money. Kids working in the shop, they love it. Got a little bit of money in their pocket, go home. Happy. Parents are happy. That's the problem, he said. Kids are out in the street, look, they're walking past, protesting about child labour, and I've got two of them in my, my shop. And when, when I was at the school on another year and another visit, the school, schools, lots of the schools, the primary school aged from 5 to 11 uh, uh, year, years of age. There's no pavements, it's just roads. They've got no money because the, the uh, Israeli control uh, everything as a form of punishment. And so the roads have got all potholes in them and the cars are weaving there. And I looked and there are no parents waiting outside the school. Not a, there. So the five-year-old kids are coming out of this school. The streets are in an absolute mess because there's no way to repair them. There's no pavements around. There are cars everywhere. And the kids are walking home, holding hands together through the street. And up, you can see them walking up through the hills of Nablus to the villages and towns because sometimes they're walking three, five kilometres each way because uh, they're so... Uh, keen to get to, to school and they said to me Christo, we, we watch television we see, see the news why are all the parents in the west at, at waiting out taking the kids to school every morning in the car picking them up from school at the end of the day why, why, why are they doing that because they're afraid they're afraid they're afraid afraid that they might get hurt they're afraid that they might be run over that they're afraid that one of these weirdos will kidnap their kids they're afraid and that's why the children are taking the kids the parents are taking the children to school and so when those refugees come come here and as someone actually here in Germany not here uh, said to me uh, uh, quite, 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 quite recently, why don't, why is there only the men out on the streets? Why can't, why are the women coming out? And I said, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that uh, the Arab men feel concern. I'm not surprised they feel concern about their their, their mothers or their wife or their daughters or whatever uh, being out in the street they, do, they genuinely do feel concern and to give an example of the concern because of the harassment which comes to them and the things which are said uh, to them my daughter works for the refugees she works for the asylum seekers she campaigns for them a guy is di- driving down the street in his van just before Christmas time, some English guy. And a Muslim woman in an English town uh, there is young English woman, sorry, Muslim woman, is walking down the street and he's driving, he's driving along. 
he winds down the window and he shouts out, Watch out! She's a suicide bomber. Immediately, people ran. Immediately, people are absolutely terrified. What mind is it that can come out and shout that out just before Christmas on a crowded street at a, at a young woman, 18, 20 years of, 20 years of age? What, 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 what is it in the mind that could think like that? And we wonder, oh, why aren't, why aren't Muslim women out on the streets? They don't, want, they, don't, they don't want to be harassed. And then they say to me, I hear it enough, they say, yeah. oh, why they, they have to wear the hijab, you know, the scarf. They have to dress like, like this. Uh, that we can dress what we like, but they, but look at the way they're, they're so controlled. They're, those who say that have no understanding of the Arab culture, have not lived in it, do not understand it, and, and the lack of understanding shows their respect. And my response is, if one is so free to wear what one, one, one likes, why don't the men go to work in a pair of sandals, Hawaiian shorts, and have a vest underneath on a nice hot summer's day? Why go wearing nice trousers and, and a shirt and probably that rope for it strangling the emotions called the tie. <laughs> why, why not just go in a pair of Hawaiian shorts? It's a hot day in a vest or stripped to the waist. Why not? We're free. Sometimes there's the pointing of the finger at the other and a great difficulty in seeing the cultural norms that we have. and projecting onto the other with such a blind spot to ourselves. And that exploration, as one good woman was saying to me today, sometimes that kind of constructed world of differences and this and that breaks down. And, and sometimes there's another kind of experience there. An experience of life is life. Life is a vibration. Life is a, an unfolding expression of things there. And sometimes we touch a deeper place and we're out of all of these constructs and all the difficulties that go with it. And sometimes, even if it's just for a few moments of being out of these constructs uh, there, we get a different sense of things. And we need to find that we need to go deeper. We need to have a different sense of, 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 of each other. And bring something which is deeper than the culture. And that's part of our practice. So when we're talking about loving kindness, we're not, we're not talking about a feel-good factor. We're talking about a power of connection and communication about seeing and experiencing things in a different way. And out of that, joy will come. And happiness will come. And hospitality will come. And room for people will come. And an authentic sense of space will come. We'll be spacious. 
I was, I was very much touched a year or two ago in this very room um, in speaking with uh, uh, young, one young um, German woman, perhaps she was um, in her 20s, 25 or, or so, and we were speaking uh, about kindness and hospitality and being receptive. And the number of uh, uh, young people resident in this uh, country, German people, who are in varieties of ways uh, giving uh, support to these people having to flee their homeland uh, there. And she said she thought one step that she could make would be to learn Arabic. To, and that would help to bridge, to help make the connection. And she said it wasn't easy. And the reason it wasn't easy, because she couldn't get into the class, it was full. <laughs> and I thought, that's hospitality. So that connection and appreciation and love and support which uh, people give, we, happiness and joy and the reduction of blame and being spacious and exploring our ex experience has a significant outreach. It's what the teachings are about. It's not about being politically of the left, right or centre. It's not, it's not about that. And it's a tremendous undertaking to get to that vibrational depth, as the good person was telling me, that sense in some other way which reflects life deeply. <coughs> and sometimes, of course, we, in the circumstances of life and in the movement of our, of our uh, life, some things are kind of a, a phenomena uh, which takes place. And what I've got in mind, mind uh, uh, here, this uh, odd thing we have in life about seeing things in a certain way, only to find out it wasn't quite how we thought that they were. And there must be lots of times in our life, even on retreats, where we see something or we see another and our mind immediately interprets in a particular way. A retreat, a, a minefield for this kind of entertainment <laughs> uh, there. And part of the reason for it is the consistency of the silence. In silence, the imagination about the other, it can have a field day uh, there. And rather than the bare experience of the other, whoever she or he or they or we uh, are, there's just the bare presentation. The bare presentation might be pleasant, it might be unpleasant, it might be not sure about. But upon the bare presentation, that means form and colour, because we may not hear the voice. Just the bare presentation. The inner life can take hold of that presentation and run with it. <laughs> I mean, just run with it. You know, from the... Um, uh, romantic, eros, erotic form uh, 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 there, that's uh, one of the more popular ones. <laughs> uh, there. Then everything is construed 
because the symbolic world then gains a tremendous authority because if you can't speak to somebody one is then looking for the symbolic to announce or to confirm there's something deep and meaningful which is going on this is that so moving out of the field of the presentations to symbolic the two pairs of shoes are close together outside the meditation (laughs) (laughs) whatever we are sitting opposite each other at the meal table it's a cosmic connection it could only happen (laughs) as a result of of this We're, we're cutting our carrots we it takes us each half an hour to cut a single carrot because we're so mindful of each other's closeness or whatever and the other of course and they call them vrs in the circle some of you will know vipassana romance uh, uh, there. and then come the end of the seven days the person opens her or his mouth. Oh, God! <laughs> How could I be in such imagination for a week? Or oh, whatever. And then the, the other one has decided that someone has to be the villain. You know, the, 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 uh, the unwanted, the unwelcomed one, whoever it might, might, it might be. They may just have let the door close a bit loudly and that's unforgivable. <laughs> uh, uh, here, they, they, they sitting in the room here and they blew their nose and this is nearest thing to a war crime. And <laughs> so these kind of views and, and, think, and so everything the person does is horrible and terrible and, and they shouldn't be allowed on retreats, <laughs> etc. And then just come the end of the seven days all this imagination and actually goes and finds oneself one didn't want to speak to the person oh, such a lovely person so warm, so kind etc all of this goes on so teachings and practice are to, try, to see if we can see the presentation of each other for sure, why not see what the inner life often based on the feeling makes of the presentation and we will, we're human, we will make uh, of it. But to be wise and clear in the face of the ordinary. And sometimes one gets a, a, a little surprise or a little shock and a very s- small example for myself, quite a, uh, a little learning lesson. Some um, months ago, uh, a woman in the town where I lived, she rang me at Dora Christopher bit of a drama going on in my life and could I meet could we meet and have a cup of coffee together and talk about it I said, absolutely so we, next day we got together had a coffee and you know, drama going on with the relationship and should I stay in it should I get out of it you know usual story and uh, so we we, we, <laughs> we went back and forth and and, and uh, uh, we shared and sometimes just the sharing as we know with the others not for people like me to give you should do this you should do that but sometimes the sharing helps to make it clear at the end of the day when uh, at the end of the day the evening I came home and just inside my porch door where I live 
there was a bunch of flowers and a small card and the and no name and just thank you love and so I took the took the flowers uh, indoors at uh, uh, home and one of those uh, flower glass things and dropped the put the flowers in put the water in and put them on the, the kitchen table uh, uh, really nice so about a week or ten days later a friend one friend and I just told her this little st- little uh, story, just t- telling her how nice it was, you know, and this anonymous little leaving of the flowers out there. And I said, it's quite, I said, it's, it's amazing. I said, I sit here, have my, you know, banana and a cup of tea at breakfast and my rice and sabji at dinner. And I said, and I put the water in, and I said, the flowers are just as fresh as, uh, as when they were the... D- d- from 10 days ago and she said Christopher I'm not surprised they're made of plastic (laughs) 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 it had not occurred to me (laughs) for a single moment that they weren't flowers and I put my hand and oh my gosh you know, there are some times in life where you assume some. You, I, you probably don't. I assume something. It looks like that. Seems. It seems like that. It, it probably. It, it must be that. <laughs> Put them in water, <laughs> and they're still like that ten days later. And it still had not occurred to me. That's that, that's the tragedy. <laughs> I just hadn't realised that the thought had that perhaps I've lived in Totnes too long, it's too new age, <laughs> but anyway, etc. And I just say, sometimes that which appears in the presentation, which there is the perception of, may not be how it is. That's all. It may not be. And in the language of the Buddha, he uses this word perception a lot, sanya. But its deeper meaning is, this is the way this is perceived now. This is the way it is being looked at now. And it gives a little space and a little appreciation. There may be another way of looking we get so used to the repetition with the ordinary of the way I look at it is how it is or how she is or how he is or that is. And sometimes with the change that goes on inside the perception undergoes a significant change. I had the, today with one of the staff here really heart-touching uh, 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 story of a very difficult period for her, a life-threatening uh, period uh, in her life um, some uh, years ago. And in spite of all of that, rather than a perception of being overwhelmed by it, something changed in the being there, 
and it became a life-transforming period of life and a happiness which was coming came out of it. And sometimes, in the face of great difficulty, this remarkable potential to see in a fresh way. And these teachings, since they are teachings of liberation, that include if something is being looked at in a problematic way, perceived in a difficult way, is it possible, can we explore to see it in a completely fresh way, what the Buddhist world called knowing and expressing your original mind, meaning something original to emerge out of it. And that originality that can emerge out of us, it brings happiness, it brings joy, it brings gladness. And the understanding of that as well is also with regard to the other. And it's important, this gladness, and it's important to experience it for the other. Because if we cannot, the self will get in the way. (coughs) It has to. And it will get in the way because there will be comparing. Why is she so lucky? Why does he have so much good fortune? Why is he so clever, so bright, so original, so creative? Why is, is she in such a good relationship? Why, 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 why? There. And the self will compare. It will not be able to experience the gladness, the happiness of the other. It will be used to turn on oneself. And that development of that, as I mentioned earlier, while it's in a form, i.e. called the retreat, but the principles of the exploration matter far more than the form. The form is a convenient receptacle. It is a useful structure for us to share in. But the principles of the mindfulness and interest and energy, the exploration of the human experience, the exploration of happiness and, uh, and joy and gladness, they, they, that's the precious area. And with that precious uh, area, if we focus on that, as mentioned already, it will have to reveal what is not that? If I, I remember when I, if I may say here, when I was a monk, doing a variety of practices. So perhaps for one week, I might focus on the colour green. So just use the eyes, and I'll just look at green. That would be my big interest for seven days, morning, noon, and night. Use my eyes for the colour green. So obviously, because I focused on the colour green, is a primary interest, the non-green would keep being revealed. It has to. But I would also notice a lot more shades of green. 
and then change the colour. And then another, I had time to do this while all of you were at university. <laughs> I was you know, using my eyes and my ears. And another time, uh, I'd, I'd choose another colour. You know, and then I would, there's another period, I would do sounds. I would do animal sounds, I'd do sounds in the nature, the winds in the trees, and the mechanical, industrial, technological sounds, and just make that the priority, and really develop out the senses uh, there. This exploration and development of all of that, as I say, focusing on one will show what is not that. This is where one has to be mm, uh, mindful, uh, careful. It's a, a fairly common voice, because most of us in these circles will hear a lot, of two or three areas which arise quite a, uh, a lot. And they're kind of taken for granted. And I think we can go a little bit deeper. So the three areas I've got in mind here. One is to set the idea. It's an idea. I need to set boundaries. How often have I heard this word? I need to set boundaries. Tread carefully. A boundary, borders, is exclusion of. Keeping out. But in keeping out, it may feel okay for a period of time, but it is a restriction on the consciousness. It will bring about pressure within. The self has got the idea, I must keep out. And in that keeping out, I so-called protect myself. But the pressure may, may give some protection. I'm not saying it doesn't do it. I've got a border, I'm keeping him out, her out, this out, that out. It may do that. But there is a pressure to keep out. And that pressure is working inside. So I successfully keep out one area, but I might well find that there is stress and pressure in another area. can control one area through the act of the will, but in another area there's something problematic. And to know ourselves is to know, to explore what this means there. Um, another, another one, very, very common, is acceptance. Another word that does the rounds. Uh, and we hear a lot of this language of acceptance and sometimes it shows itself in common language would be oh, we have to see things clearly and accept things as they are. No, we don't. It's to be respectful <coughs> to the non-acceptance. To some degree we might say, our presence here is because we might have looked at situations in our life, we have a sense there is the potential for change, for exploration, 
and for whatever reason we find ourselves on a retreat. We find ourselves in this environment because possibly, probably, there's something which we're not accepting somewhere else. And we have a sense there's maybe a fresh way, a new way of working, a new way of, of, of uh, uh, living. And uh, with the Buddha, who obviously I'm a, a huge fan of, uh, I asked my, my Pali colleagues, uh, these 10,000 discourses of the Buddha, how much or how often the language of acceptance is used. And my concern, both as a political activist, and socially and sp- uh, uh, spiritually, the vulnerability of the use of acceptance, it can contribute to a passive response to events. We have to accept things. I'm not quite sure if Dharma is a, a passive response to life. It's a, a passionate response to life. It's an engaged one, inwardly and uh, uh, out, outwardly. It's one of risks and adventure uh, there. It's one of learning to take steps there. And therefore, it requires from us a certain clarity of knowing what is t- to be accepted. She left and she's not coming back. All the fuss in the world won't stop. She's gone. Accept it. Uh, I had a job. The personnel officer called me in and said, we're cutting our numbers. You're out. Accept it. In some situations, even in those (coughs) kind of uh, situations, it can contribute to some uh, reflection. It can contribute, some people, to some actions and change and fresh ways of of looking. Someone that we love very much uh, dies. I just had an inquiry uh, last month. Man, this was in, uh, in Israel. The man's wife and daughter died from different sicknesses within six weeks. You know, one just wonders sometimes in life just how do people cope you know, to, to lose uh, the two most important people in his life in the space of a few weeks from different causes and conditions there. And sometimes it needs our love and kindness and support and, and, and care to help people get through these uh, uh, situ- uh, uh, sit- situations. And of course the man has to accept the reality of it. Uh, there but has to find ways in the perceptions to understand it in fresh ways. So he's not living in grief day in and and, uh, day out. And that part of our responsibility and our exploration, not only, as I mentioned earlier, for the welfare of ourselves, but also to have some ways of 
other ways of looking and sharing and communicating so others may be able to look at a fresh way. We're here for the other as much as we are here for, our, for ourselves. And where, where in the teachings, the, where the word acceptance is used, he says, some, I can't remember the exact words, but something along the lines, having looked into the nature of things, having looked at things, having looked at the reality of things, and seen things clearly, and has come to an understanding, one accepts that one has come to an understanding. So it's a, a fruit, it's an outcome. Uh, having seen clearly in the, in the understanding, one accepts this. Whatever that might be uh, uh, about. And I obviously prefer, rather than say, oh, I just need to accept this, let me first explore. Let me first see what understanding can emerge from it. What I can learn, what insights can come from this. And when I genuinely feel I've learned something, I've got some insights about this, whatever it might be, then to accept it. And I think that to me is a, a healthier priority. And another, the third, so one is the borders and the boundaries. Another is in the area of uh, uh, acceptance, when it really needs to be applied or when it's a passive response to a situation where it actually needs non-acceptance rather than acceptance uh, there. And the third area, uh, and another one, regularly used every retreat, anywhere, the word needs. Needs. And this, the language of needs um, takes some exploration here. What I've got in uh, mind here, very, very common one. Plenty of us, plenty of us here in this room uh, here. We are engaged in forms of activity and communication which is in a response to the needs of others. Children, partner, work, parents, family, friends, etc. Strangers. And out of us, we listen to the needs that others have and the whole variety of them according to our role and and, and so forth. There's a vulnerability with it. One is, well there are many, one is in the vulnerability of listening to the needs of others, it will remind us of our own needs. It has to. If I focus on the other, his or her, their need, it will, will remind me of my needs. And then the self, on the self of the others, their needs, swings back to my needs. And there is a movement back and forth between the needs. And it can't be easy to have the wisdom and the clarity of this ordinary situation which is able to find a completely fresh way of looking. There will not be any peace of mind in measuring their needs 
my need. Time for them, time for myself. It will not work. It is a hopeless endeavour. And it's constant stress. The whole way of looking has to undergo another kind of shift. Because in the method of the self, herself, himself, themself, and myself, uh, that relationship means a constant measurement. And the thought arises based on the feeling I need time for myself. But then, how much time? And what am I going to do with this time I have with myself? There. And then, oh my God, I'm giving myself too much time. Oh, I'm such a selfish swine. (laughs) Etc. I should be giving more time to others. I'm giving too much time to others. And I need to give more time to myself. It's a yo-yo existence. Uh, there and it's wrapped around needs and the idea of need too much in one direction will mean a reaction in the other it has to and sometimes it is the other way around oh I am such a needy person I have no time to give anything to the others because I am so needy there and so it's all here and that reminds one of how little one is doing for anybody else and it's the same issue one starts to do something for others and one's in the yo-yo life there I hope you're not looking for an answer just (laughs) I got the easy job I just raised the questions (laughs) that Is there another way of looking, this is the challenge, in which the difference between the other and myself is not that big? It's not about needs. It's not the issue at all. Needs has wanting in it, it has desire uh, in it. It's not about being with and being separate from. It appears like that. The thought is like that. The conviction is like that. And everybody's telling you it's like that. Don't believe them. And perhaps in all of that, we can find, need some reflection here, going to need some uh, meditation here, where we get a sense of the movement, the free movement of life. It's a liberation from needs. It's not about self and other. That's the picture. That's the story. Me and her and him. One goes to work, one gives a lot of good service to others, whatever it might be that you're engaged in, or you've got lots of kids or whatever it might be, or just one's enough for a lifetime. (laughs) And and then um, then you're back at home, to and fro in, the, in this dynamic and as I keep repeating the idea of needs uh, arises but needs has wanting in it and it has measurement and it has time in it we've got to listen to somewhere out of that construct the, 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 the discourse itself says 
experiencing the mind, in this case, this kind of mind, calming the mind, in this case, calming, calming the mind. Why experience and calm the mind? Not just to be reduce the stress. Well, yes, it will do that. It's to experience and calm the mind in order to be receptive to a fresh perception, to another way of looking at things which you had never thought of before. Never thought of. And the being can release that and release it in such a way, and there are many ways, such a way, we can move freely. This is a liberation teaching, remember. Freely in life <coughs> between so-called other and oneself. We can move freely in life without barriers. We can move freely in life to accept and move freely to non-accept. And in the weaving of the story we might all hear, response to this uh, discourse as I mentioned experiencing the body, calming the body happiness, joy, gladness recognising those experiences recognising the huge challenge as I say with our beloved Muslim brothers and sisters in the Arab community and others there, and exploring this self-other dy dynamic it's a huge challenge on consciousness huge but we can do it. We're human. We have infinite potential. We can transform any situation. That's our power. Let's have a quiet moment, shall we? beings inquire into the human experience may all beings realize fresh perceptions of situations may all beings live with freedom of being Thank you for lending an ear.